You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. There is a lot at stake for Michigan and Michiganders in the 2020 census count. We could lose another congressional seat, and we could lose out on a lot of federal funding. The programs most at risk are ones that benefit kids, low-income people, immigrants, and minorities, all groups that are most at risk to be undercounted in the census. NPR has been closely covering preparations for the 2020 census, and Hansi Lo Wang is NPR's go-to reporter on those stories. He is here in Michigan this week talking about the census, and he joins me now in the studio. Hansi Lo Wang, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, also welcome to Michigan. Thank you. Um, Just a few sentences. Tell people why you're here uh, and what you're learning about us as Michiganders as we get ready for this decennial count next year. I uh, was invited by uh, University of Michigan's Knight Wallace uh, Fellows Program. They bring together journalists mm-hmm. who uh, spend time at University of Michigan out in Ann Arbor. And uh, I was invited to speak with them about my reporting on the 2020 census. And um, yeah, I think there, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of questions about the 2020 census because it's just such a sprawling big program. It is a, a national headcount of every person living in the United States. And it sounds like a simple thing to do. It is not simple at all. And there's a lot of power and money at stake. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's hard, I think, to get people uh, in years that were not conducting the census to really focus on the importance uh, of the sentence. Tell us just in a few sentences why people should care about the outcome uh, of the census and why it's worth participating in it. Well, you know, in the U.S. Constitution, before there's any mention of voting, before there's any mention of a president, there's a reference to the census. It's called the actual, a actual enumeration. Uh, one of the first instructions of the Constitution from the framers is to conduct a headcount of, now we conduct a headcount of every person living in the country. There's a long, complicated history of who was counted and how the count was done. But now it's every person living in the country, regardless of immigration status, regardless of citizenship status. And those numbers determine how many seats in the House of Representatives each state gets. The uh, the share of political power in Congress, each how the share that each state has, is dependent upon the population counts. Those numbers also are used to guide an estimated almost $900 billion a year in federal funds for things like roads, Medicare, Medicaid, federal funding for public services all the way down to your local neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so talk about Michigan in the national census count. Why might this state be important? Well, you know, a, a city like Detroit that has seen so, so much transformation over the past 10 years since the last census, uh, it's going to be a really uh, a critical point to see exactly what, what are the population levels uh, in the city that's seen so much change. Uh, there is concern in, in any place in the country about making sure uh, what the Census Bureau considers the most hard-to-count groups, uh, groups including communities of color, immigrant communities, low-income communities, renters, uh, young people, uh, young children under the age of five. These are all populations that historically uh, the Census Bureau has had trouble making sure there's an accurate count of these communities. And the concern here is if those populations are not accurately accounted for, the data that we get, that data stay with us for the next 10 years. There are no do-overs with the census. It's a one-time thing, once a decade. Yeah. 
this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Hansi Lo Wang, a national correspondent for NPR. He is based in New York and has been extensively covering the census, the preparations for the census next year in 2020. All of us in the United States are supposed to be counted uh, every 10 years. Uh, that count is what determines things like congressional representation, uh, but also an enormous amount of federal funding is tied to what that count looks like. Uh, we have lots of historically undercounted populations here in Metro Detroit, and uh, there's always something of a struggle to make sure that we count as many people as we can so that we get all of the things that we are due from the federal government. Uh, there's a lot of anticipation about what will happen here next uh, year in Michigan and a lot of preparation to make sure that things go the way they are supposed to. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what you're thinking about in terms of the census. Tell us how important it is to you. Uh, tell us if you've seen a lot about uh, the importance of filling out the census in my neighborhood. Last week, uh, there were people out canvassing, uh, telling folks about the census and making sure that we plan to fill it out. Are you seeing these efforts as well? Uh, are you involved in the efforts to try to make sure that people are counted and fill out the census? Uh, tell us what you're doing and where. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, let's start with Tom in Northwest Detroit. Tom, what's on your mind? Yeah, good morning, Steve, and good mm -hmm. morning to your guests. You know, I had attended a meeting back here in March uh, for Councilman James Tate in the District 1 area, mm -hmm. and he had a woman there. Her last name is Miss Kovari. And I think she's working with the city in terms of the census. And I heard her say this. She said for each person that does not fill that census form out, it costs $1,800 per person per day for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Okay? And I, and I heard a number, and I could be wrong, but I heard that in, in the last census that was done, 220,000 people in the city didn't fill it out. We're not counted. Right, yeah. and I ran the numbers, and that's $4 billion that, you know, we were not able to garner to, you know, go for whatever, you know, for, for what the census and the money goes to, like you say, for infrastructure and hospitals and stuff like that. So it is extremely, extremely important that, you know, everybody should fill that form out. And don't get me wrong, I am not naive. There are going to be some people because of their backgrounds and, you know, criminal stuff and, you know, uh, people failing to do child support, uh, you know, they think that, you know, they're going to be turned in because they filled a census form. The census does not pass that information on to any law enforcement agencies, you know, to the point where they can come and be picked up. Hmm. Uh, Tom, uh, I, I love the math that you uh, that you undertook there, and, and I mean, it's a great uh, illuminating fact about how important uh, the census is. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you called. Uh, Hansi Lo Wong, talk about some of the things that um, that cities uh, or, or states go without uh, when they don't get all of their citizens to, to fill out the census, like what the specific kinds of programs are that are affected by these undercounts. 
Well, I, I think it's, um, it's a wide range of possibilities here because these are really, this information is so fundamental. Uh, when, when you want to find out how many people are just, how many people are living in your community, we rely on census data. And those numbers then are included on grant applications to federal funding uh, for federal um, dollars uh, to provide uh, the infrastructure, the public services. But also another aspect of this is this data also helps local and state officials draw political maps after the 2020 census, the next round of redistricting, the next round where lines are drawn to determine the voting districts all the way down to the local level that requires census data. And so if we don't have accurate counts, if we don't have accurate data of who's living in the country, uh, who's living in any given community, uh, it's unclear then if there is a fair share of political representation mm-hmm. all the way down to the local level, if that's happening for, the, again, the next 10 years. Yeah. And and there is, of course, lots of money tied to that representation. Uh, the, the, the people who we send to Washington, D.C., uh, to speak for us uh, are the ones who leverage the federal funding that ends up in our communities. And so the undercount uh, affects uh, affects that, that relationship as well. If we don't get the representation we deserve, there's money and funding uh, that we might not be, uh, be privy to. Tom, thanks very much uh, for the call uh, and the comments. And again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Before we go back to callers, though, Hansi, I want to talk some about uh, the GOP efforts to produce data through the census or other means that would be potentially uh, beneficial to Republicans and non-Hispanic whites. Talk about immigrant advocacy groups and how they're responding to this effort. A recent story of yours uh, dealt with this issue. Right. So uh, there is not going to be a citizenship question on the 2020 census forms. The 2020 census will not ask people about their U.S. citizenship status. However, this Trump administration is moving forward with an alternative way of producing detailed citizenship data. They're going they're trying to compile government records uh, from federal agencies in order to come up with a citizenship count of who's a citizen, who's not a U.S. citizen at a very detailed level. And that's data necessary in order uh, to carry out a strategy that has been outlined, uh, one by a prominent GOP redistricting strategist who died last year. His name is Thomas Hoffler. He concluded that if you were to able to get this detailed citizenship data, mm-hmm. you were able to draw voting districts based not on the total number of residents in an area, but just on citizens eligible to vote. And by doing it that way, that way, Thomas Hoffler uh, said, uh, could provide a political advantage to Republicans and non-Hispanic white people. And so at this point, because the Trump administration is moving forward um, with plans to produce the citizenship data that would allow for the strategy to be enacted, and the Trump administration has also said this is, uh, and one of the reasons they said now uh, is to allow states and local governments uh, to change their laws and do redistricting in this way, that do it redistricting not just based on citizens, not all citizens, but specifically uh, citizens eligible to vote. Now, there are groups represented by the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund, as well as Asian-Americans Advancing Justice, AAJC. Uh, They have filed lawsuits uh, to stop the Trump administration. Uh, This is a lawsuit in Maryland to stop the Trump administration from releasing and producing that citizenship data. Yeah. Um, I I think that story is a really good example of 
the jockeying that is taking place right now between the Trump administration and advocates uh, over the nature of the census. And this is something that we haven't seen in other in other years. I mean, the Trump administration really has taken a different tack uh, toward the idea of the census and has said that there are a number of things that they either want to see happen that aren't happening or things that are happening that they don't want to see happen anymore. Uh, and they're really pushing the bounds of what the rules look like for uh, for counting Americans. You know, another way of looking at it, and, and a long history, because there is a very long history of the U.S. Census, this is about money, this is about power at the end of the day when we're mm-hmm. talking about the census. It may sound like, and it is a bureaucratic government form, but what we're really talking about is power and money. And when there's power and money involved, there's going to be a fight involved and who gets what share of it. And you see that if you look back at census history, uh, there have been lawsuits about who is counted, how people are counted, and how those results are determined. Um, but we right now are in the middle of a, a very a contentious fight that has uh, died down somewhat now that it has been finalized that there won't be a citizenship question. But the next round that I'll be keeping track of is what happens with the citizenship data, if it will be released, how it will be used uh, going forward. And this will be a fight that lasts even beyond the 2020 census when redistricting really gets going in 2021 and when the congressional seats are reapportioned uh, at the very beginning of 2021. Hmm. Uh, I, I wonder if you can also talk about what Tom was saying um, uh, with regard to people being afraid to fill out the census because of uh, their immigration status, perhaps because of a criminal uh, record, uh, perhaps because of child support uh, issues. Uh, these are some of the barriers that, that I think uh, we deal with in, in cities like Detroit an awful lot. Um, uh, but of course, those are myths, uh, and and it's important to dispel those myths. The census data is not used for anything other than the census count. Right. Title 13 uh, of the U.S. Code, there are uh, very strict legal restrictions on how census data uh, it can be used by the federal government. Uh, the federal government can collect this information, uh, but it cannot release it, uh, uh, that, release it in a way that identifies individuals until 72 years after the information is collected. It cannot release this information uh, to other federal uh, law enforcement agencies, uh, to local federal uh, local uh, law enforcement agencies, and it can't be used against people, information identifying individuals. Uh, but this is a perennial challenge for the Census Bureau because it is a perception issue. Um, and also there is a history uh, where Census Bureau, uh, Census Bureau data uh, has been used, uh, specifically uh, one case that is often brought up during World War II, mm-hmm. uh, when there was a law passed by Congress uh, in reaction to World War II and in the name of national security, uh, where restrictions that were in place uh, were lifted. And so it, data was used uh, to identify people of Japanese descent uh, and uh, for the incarceration of U.S. citizens of Japanese descent after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Um, but the Census Bureau now has uh, strict uh, restrictions on how, again, that data can be released. But there is still that perception issue. Hmm. Uh, again, 313 577 1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Linda in Dearborn. Linda, what's on your mind? Hi, I have two questions. I'll ask them both. They're a little unrelated, but mm-hmm. um, but if you could just answer them both. So my, my first question is a couple years ago, I heard about people trying to add an Arab um, or Middle Eastern race category to the census. I wasn't sure what happened with that. I think it obviously has a 
would have big ramifications here in the greater Detroit area, given, um, you know, the substantial number of Arab Americans that live around here. And mm-hmm. so I'm wondering whether that, that was actually done. And my second question is, although I feel like it's been answered, but I guess more clarification about whether every single person actually has to fill it out or whether the census uh, folks get a sample and then kind of extrapolate that sample to the general population. Like, is it a true count or is it an estimate based on the count? Hmm. Those are both really great questions, uh, Linda. I appreciate you calling and asking. Hansi, I'll let you uh, have at it. Uh, the, the census is supposed to be a count of every person living in the country uh, and, and not a sample survey. Uh, the surveys go out. Uh, they will be going out uh, mostly online this time around. Uh, there will be some paper forms, and you can also call in for the first time a 1-800 number. Uh, you don't have to individually fill out the census. One person fills it out for the entire household. And uh, the Census Bureau is going to do uh, put out all the all the work, uh, put, make all the efforts to make sure every person is counted. They're going to send door knockers if people don't fill out the census because, again, they are trying to count to get information about every person living in the country. As far as uh, proposals and calls for uh, collecting information about people of Middle Eastern or North African ancestry, uh, there have been proposals. This has been a longtime policy goal of some folks in uh, what some people call the MENA community, uh, Middle Eastern and North African uh, uh, people of Middle Eastern North African descent, and there was a proposal to change um, as part of the change of how race and ethnicity would be collected for the 2020 census, uh, and it would have been a separate box that would have listed Middle Eastern or North African under a question that would have asked, what is your race or ethnicity? That proposal did not move forward for a number of reasons. Uh, one of which the Census Bureau says it needs to do more research uh, on how to best uh, collect information about people of Middle Eastern or North African descent. Uh, there's a lot of research and discussion involved before any changes are made uh, to just something as, as detailed as the wording of a question, how it's presented, uh, because the Census Bureau wants to make sure it collects accurate data. Uh, another uh, reason why proposals haven't moved forward with how race and ethnicity are uh, collected for the 2020 census is because the White House's Office of Management and Budget did not approve a proposal uh, made by the Census Bureau researchers. Uh, but uh, one thing to keep in mind here is that the current federal standards that the Census Bureau does not set has to follow. These are set by the White House's Office of Management and Budget, and this has been set since the 1970s, categorizes people of Middle Eastern and North African descent currently as white. As white, yes. Um, Talk a little more about uh, the difference between the count in census years and the counts that we see in between. I think that confuses people sometimes because the census does do a lot of estimating in the years between uh, the the zero years when we have uh, the census count. Right. The the Census Bureau uh, does a lot more than just the census. Uh, it also conducts a host of other surveys, including this one survey. It's the largest survey in the country known as the American Community Survey. It's an ongoing survey. And through that sample survey, it produces uh, estimates uh, of population counts in between census years. So because the census only comes out every 10 years, uh, researchers, policymakers, uh, they like to have more recent data um, and also ask like information about all the uh, topics that the census does not cover. And that is where this American Community Survey comes in. And so we hear about these estimates uh, in between, and they come from the American Community Survey, which is from a sample. Yes. 
Uh, again, Linda, thanks very much for the call. And the question is, let's go to Bernadette in Redford. Good morning, Stephen. Hey. My um, question is, can the strategy to call public records backfire? For example, um, it's possible by going through um, public assistance records or prison release records or the Secretary of State or the city clerk to find a, uh, a list of voters in the city clerks and to take that information and in some way cross-check it to um, the addresses on the census. Hmm. Great question, Bernadette. Uh, Hansi, how does that, uh, how does that work? This is uh, an area uh, that uh, right now it seems like the Census Bureau is doing a lot of work and and moving towards that direction. It's a complicated process. So the Census Bureau over the years has relied on uh, various records uh, in order to complete account. Uh, For example, the military population uh, has been counted for years, uh, for decades, based on existing records. There um, and but right now there is a trend toward uh, using trying to see if it's possible, uh, given that uh, so many households are reluctant to answer the survey, and because of that reluctance, the census cost goes up and up because you need to hire then workers to follow up and make sure that information is collected and is accurate. Uh, the Census Bureau is putting in efforts to do the research to figure out how we, they can use these existing records more extensively. It requires uh, negotiations uh, with those agencies. Agencies, federal agencies, as well as local and state governments that have this information because uh, confidentiality is very important to the Census Bureau. And so they can't just take records. Uh, there has to be a negotiation of how those records are used, how those records are stored. And uh, that is a very complicated process. And then it's a question of how accurate those, those records are. And can the census rely on those records and combine them with other records in order to produce uh, data that the Census Bureau uh, feels confident about? Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue talking with Hansi Lo Wong about the census as coming up next year in 2020. What is the implication of that for us here in Detroit and in Michigan? We would also love to keep hearing from you about it. What are you thinking about the census next year, the important count that ties funding for the next 10 years, representation for the next 10 years, to the ways in which we make sure everyone gets counted. Stay with us on Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks very much for tuning in. My guest is Hansi Lo Wang. He's a national correspondent for NPR. He's based in New York City, but he has been covering the census extensively, traveling quite a bit uh, around the United States as we prepare for the decennial count of Americans. Of course, this time uh, there are a number of issues, some raised by the Trump administration, which has a different view of the way that Americans should be counted uh, than perhaps the census Bureau itself has. Uh, The Trump administration has been trying to make several changes uh, to the way that count unfolds. Um, uh, We also have the perennial uh, issue of undercounting in places like Detroit, where uh, at-risk populations are often skeptical or not really even uh, knowledgeable enough about 
how important the census is to make sure that uh, people fill it out. That costs us lots and lots of money uh, in federal funding that is tied to the census count. It also can cost us in terms of representation, representation in Lansing, uh, representation in Washington. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us whether you are thinking about the 2020 census. Yes, yet it is October 2019, a full three months before uh, 2020. Uh, But are you thinking already about how important uh, the census count is for Detroit and Michigan? Are you somebody who's involved with the efforts to make sure that people fill it out uh, and that we get the correct count here? Uh, Or do you have big questions about the census, uh, the way in which the information is used, the way in which the information is collected. Uh, Call and tell us what those concerns might be. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Hansi, before we get back to uh, callers and, and comments, uh, I want to ask about this uh, data collection uh, question. Uh, how are we seeing the debates around the census and data collection play out in various states, uh, especially in states that lean conservative but have big immigrant populations? Right. Well, it's uh, for states with large immigrant populations, uh, the concern is that you know, the best way of collecting data, the Census Bureau says, is to have uh, households respond themselves, to fill out the forms themselves. That's the, uh, in terms of survey methodology, that is providing you the most accurate uh, information uh, before you have to start uh, trying to uh, essentially take educated guesses based on uh, other records um, and try to fill in the information on someone's behalf. Um, but the major concern here is that because we've had a more than year-long legal battle over this citizenship question, which is blocked and won't be on the 2020 census, but a lot of immigrant advocates are concerned that all the talk about the citizenship question has essentially tainted the well and that uh, immigrant communities that hear about the census associated with the citizenship question legal battle, associated with uh, the Trump administration's efforts to get a citizenship question onto the 2020 census and and uh, will stay away from it and make it uh, an even more difficult uh, challenge uh, that the Census Bureau was preparing for. This means that it may need to hire even more workers and do even more aggressive on-the-ground efforts to make sure every person living in the country is counted next year. Yeah. Uh, This tension between what the Trump administration wants and what the Census Bureau is used to doing or thinks it should do. Uh, That's also a little bit unusual. Um, Talk about the ways in which that that might affect the Census Bureau's work next year. In other words, uh, if you've got an administration that doesn't support what they're doing, are there ways that uh, they could get tripped up? Well, it was the Census Bureau's position when they first received a request uh, from the Justice Department under the Trump administration to uh, add a citizenship question. Uh, The Census Bureau researchers uh, concluded fairly quickly that this was not the best way uh, in order to collect more detailed citizenship data, that if indeed the 
Justice Department wanted uh, more detailed citizenship data, the way to do it is not to add a question, but to compile government records from other federal agencies. Uh, but uh, this Trump administration uh, was determined to get this question on. And, and so one example we have here then is the Census Bureau essentially having to divert resources, attention, and energy uh, while this legal battle was going on to address questions and to rethink their operations because the Census Bureau has long known that a citizenship question is a sensitive question and could derail uh, not just the count of uh, immigrant populations and uh, populations who are not U.S. citizens, but just the entire census operation. Uh, It it could have risked the quality of the information, of all the information that's collected. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. So let's go to Matthew in Oxford. Matthew, welcome to the program. Hi. Yeah, I have a question, a uh, concern, really. Mm-hmm. Um, in virtually every agency, uh, State Department, uh, EPA, et cetera, et cetera, they've taken every all the career bureaucrats and fired them or moved them out, you know, the people that are dedicated to the mission of the agency. And replace them with uh, Trump cronies who uh, are all about, you know, in this case, it would be undercounting uh, women and minorities to uh, boost their uh, base, which mm. is white men. Um, and I wonder, you know, I just assume that's what's going on, but uh, would like I this fellow seems to know what he's talking about. Is that something mm-hmm. we need to be concerned about? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Matthew. Are we seeing... Uh, in terms of staffing at the Census Bureau, in terms of appointments at the Census Bureau, the same things that we have seen, for instance, at the EPA, where uh, the Trump administration, which is pretty skeptical of the work of the EPA, has has uh, tried to direct its work in a different uh, direction by by staffing differently. The Census Bureau is primarily made up of career federal government employees. Uh, Folks have been there uh, for years, some for decades. Um, And there are a few positions that are political appointees, and that's been the case in past administrations as well. Uh, But what you're seeing right now, as far as I can tell, is is work still driven by career uh, employees who are uh, statisticians, uh, who are demographers, who are economists. Uh, These are technical experts, uh, as well as folks who have been involved in the operations for past censuses, uh, for, for multiple past censuses, but bring a lot of experience. Uh, But I am keeping track, uh, trying to see what the political appointees are doing and what kind of an impact uh, the administration is having upon the work uh, of the career employees. Um, And, and, you know, one possible concern is, are there experienced folks who've been with the Bureau for um, many, many years with lots of experience that may be thinking of an earlier retirement uh, because they uh, don't want to uh, withstand the pressure? Um, That's uh, something I'm tracking as well. Mm. Tell us what's uh, next for you as you gear up for 2020. Uh, You've done a lot of stories around the country uh, and in Washington about what is going on with the census. What else uh, what else do you uh, do you plan to, to have us thinking about before we get there? Uh, well, we just released uh, an episode on NPR's Code Switch podcast today about how incarcerated people are counted for the census. Mm. Uh, and 
people who are in prisons uh, on Census Day. They are counted where they're incarcerated. That's been the case since the first U.S. Census back in 1790. But uh, after the rise of mass incarceration, there have been lots of folks who have raised questions about whether or not that is the best way to count prisoners because that does affect how state and local governments do their redistricting. And so there, uh, I went to a prison town in Wisconsin a few months back and, and profiled this town named Waupun right outside of Milwaukee. Uh, you see two uh, local voting districts made up mostly of prisoners who in the state of Wisconsin and in most states in the country cannot vote while they're in prison. Uh, and you have- They uh, count, but they can't vote. Exactly. They right. count as residents. And so you have uh, local officials in prison towns representing constituents who can't hold them accountable at the ballot box. Mm. And so that is uh, an ongoing debate. Uh, the Census Bureau uh, is going to continue counting prisoners where they're incarcerated, but some states and some uh, local jurisdictions have changed how when they do redistricting, uh, they're changing the way prisoners count and counting them instead uh, at their home addresses before they were incarcerated. Yeah. Okay, Hansi Lo Wang, national correspondent for NPR. It was really great to have you here with us. On it's Detroit great to today. be here. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, thanks for coming by. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, come back tomorrow for a conversation about why the GOP is not abandoning Donald Trump, even as we learn each day about more of the things that he has done that strain not just uh, moral and ethical lines, but perhaps legal lines. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer and Anna Marie Seisling. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And Detroit Today's theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.